I am here holding the hope for you until you can hold it for yourself. Welcome to From Heartache to Healing and Hope with your host, Bernadette Winters-Bell, LMSW. This podcast explores the many layers of life through the lens of loss and grief, often with special guests who share their perspectives on this universal yet unique process. These explorations can offer you, the listener, avenues to encourage you to have these conversations with yourself, your family, your community, your world. Hi there, it's Bernadette Winters-Bell, and in today's series, Same Storm, Different Boats, we're paddling away with a most interesting guest, Hellish Patel, and he's the Leadership Program Officer at the Field Foundation, supporting leadership in Chicago's areas of creativity and arts in so many different fields. I think you're going to find this as fascinating as I do. I'm here holding the hope for you until you can hold it for yourself. Be well. I'd like you to meet my special guest who's rowing in the boat with me today, Hillish Patel. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So would you be so kind as to introduce yourself um, to my guest who up until this point um, have been more local here to upstate New York. Okay, um, so my name is Hilish Patel. I am a, I work in leadership. I oversee leadership at a philanthropic organization called Field Foundation. I'm part of a printmaking collective. I'm a writer, a poet, a novelist, and um, yeah. I, there's plenty more to the story that involves immigration and moving and traversing across the United States, but that's a good primer. Wow. So you're a true Renaissance man. I'm loving this. <laughs> well, you know, I, I've had a lot of jobs and I think it's well-rounded. My mom would say it's schizophrenic. So we'll just kind of, <laughs> we'll, we'll just kind of close that loop. Well, everyone has their perspective, don't they? Yes, especially mothers. <laughs> especially mothers. Well, she wants to see you safe and taken care of. Yes. Yeah. So um, it has become known to me that uh, after World War I, uh, here in the United States, uh, people would ask one another, how was your war? Because, of course, communication was different than it is now. And to be able to know how it was for other family members, or soldiers or community members, they would ask, how was your war? And so I say to you, Hillard, how has your pandemic been? That's so interesting that you would ask me that because um, not even a week ago, I was talking to someone about all is quiet on the Western front. Mm -hmm. um, and we were talking about a quote and we could never, we, could, we had trouble identifying the quote, who it came from, but they were asking someone what their favorite novel was and they said, all's quiet on the Western front because if you want to understand the, um, the jazz, the, the music, the art, the people, you have to understand what World War I did to the United States. And so I've been thinking about that a lot. And um, for me, I am, I can answer that two ways. I personally am exhausted. Uh, I'm struggling a little bit, um, but I'm, it also, has brought into my life a kind of deeper introspection that I wasn't expecting. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, I have all of that together, but at the same time, I'm also, you know, in terms of what I was referencing with, you know, at, when you're asking, how was your war? I'm also watching a tremendous amount of my neighbors in my community struggling. So it's, it's a little bit of everything. 
Wow. So let's start with the professional. Uh, what were you doing in March prior to the shutdown of this year? So professionally, so what I do is, you know, and generally I oversee leadership at a, a at a philanthropic organization. But what I really do is I'm the person who, who oversees an awards program for leaders who work in justice, art, and media storytelling uh, in Chicago and across Chicago. And so a lot of what I did was one-on-one -on -one meetings in person, um, talking to people, listening to where they're at, helping them down professional pathways uh, and just kind of figuring out what's next for them um, and really providing as much support as I can after March, I continued to do that, but then the, the issues that I was helping support and the people that I was helping support, um, a lot of that changed. Mm -hmm. So what, what initially was just kind of talking about professional pathways and maybe difficulties has become more professional therapy. And that's not a bad thing, but it's really because a lot of the leaders that I support and that I work with are trying to find ways of taking care of themselves while they're supporting other people. And, they, and there's such a kind of weight and gravity around how they perceive helping themselves that my life before the pandemic was a lot of like, I'm going to go to meetings, I'm going to do this and do that. And my life after the pandemic has been an increased amount of listening and sitting in spaces inside my home. Um, so bringing in some ways, just bringing people inside my home. Wow. And how has that been? for you to have that change, pivot to use the word of the year, um, to change that kind of a job? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I wish I could give you like some really smart witty answer where I said, you know, it, it transformed me and um, it embarked me on a journey and it did both those things, but it's been, I have to say it's been really difficult. It's been really difficult. Um, I being away from people mm -hmm. has has been really really difficult, and I'm saying that as someone who <laughs> spent so much time alone. Like I, I'm a person who grew up like valuing private space and kind of like need. I need to like have that space to be alone to reset. Um, but now I I found myself being so hungry for human interaction for people and to like see their faces in person and to actually like, I miss hugs. I miss like, I miss a tremendous amount of things. So I, so I miss a lot of that. So that's, that's been really difficult for me. And I think there's a different level of exhaustion and fatigue that's come with um, being in the pandemic that I wasn't, I wasn't ready for. Um, so, and I'm still trying to navigate that and still trying to kind of, untangle that and um, figure that out. So uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. I think that that's a, a lovely way that you put it. You know, I think in terms of that, if we were going to run a marathon, we would know when it was, we'd sign up for it. We'd begin to train. Uh, we'd eat in a particular way. We would talk to people about it. They might uh, support or sponsor us in that. Uh, we'd buy a cute outfit. Well, I would, and that you were going to run in and, you know, you'd have the carb meal the night before and have family and friends there. But when you cross the finish line, I would expect to fall down and collapse. And that would be understandable and then take some time uh, to regroup. 
And so I think of us, and I've often thought of this particular scenario um, in the grief work that I do, you know, when people go through that process that we're in a marathon now, except we didn't know it was coming. We didn't sign up for it. We don't have the outfit and we didn't prepare for it mentally that when they said in March, okay, let's shut this down. People were like, well, wait a minute. I have to get back to life. And then it became, all right, what do I do this week? Well, this month, oh, okay. This is the spring and then we'll do this, but it'll be better in the summer. And in a way it was because it's nicer weather. We get outside, even if we're socially distanced with the thought perhaps wish that the fall would bring back to normal. And of course it hasn't. And we can see that this will go on for a bit. And so we're just taking ourselves in a marathon that we're just going through like it's a sprint. And then when we stop and say, wait a minute, let me be a little reflective here because, well, it seems like I have time to do that. Right. And you have time in your home and not with people. So before you could be with a lot of people, then take your home to take yourself home to regroup, which is exactly what I do. Um, but now the control is taken out of it for you. It's not like I choose when I'm going to be out with people and when I'm going to be home. It does. It takes a lot of reflection and tweaking to figure out how to make this work. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up grief because I think there's a whole kind of body of water that people are swimming through that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, some people fully understand it and recognize it as it's grief and grieving processes, but there are other folks who just don't, they, they're unaccustomed to dealing with grief. And so they're like, what's going on? I'm feeling this collective, I've heard people refer to it as this collective grief and they don't know what to do with it because it's, they're feel, they like feel disconnected, but then connected at the same time. Well, interestingly, so grief is what we feel internally and mourning is what we do communally. Hmm. Although most people don't know the difference and use the words interchangeably. But the reason I think it's important as we're speaking now is that we are feeling grief for the life we had, whatever that was. But we're mourning together for a world that was or for the ability to be together. So I think we're doing both actually. And it is hard to know what to do with that if you've never experienced it, or if this sounds like gobbledygook to you and you don't. <laughs> right. Um, because people just want to get back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. My, I remember um, a good friend of mine was talking about a breakup. This is years ago. And someone had told her uh, what you're really experiencing is you're mourning the loss of expectation of what could have been. And I think about that a lot, especially with what you just said. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you're maneuvering uh, through this pandemic, personally and professionally, you're helping people to do it while you're figuring out for yourself, how do I do this? <laughs> and, and that's what a lot of us are doing now. Absolutely. Yeah. And so personally, have you seen other changes or experienced other things going on for yourself? Yeah, um, I think I am forgetting, you know, I'm trying to find the positive, but also I'm seeing so many things that are being pulled away. I'm, I'm forgetting how to, I guess the tangible thing would be to say, I'm forgetting how to read. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I know that sounds so strange, but I haven't read. I, I, I consume information in a far different way. Yeah, right. um, and that's been happening through the pandemic than I did before. And a lot of that has to do with reading. I don't, I don't read the way I used to. And by that, I mean, like I, I let, I used to ingest like narratives or information and then let it sit with me. And now um, my consumption is almost, um, it's almost like just reaching into the, the cabinet to just grab a bag of chips and just eat things you eat. And that's how I'm consuming information. And so for me, that's really difficult, you know, because that is such an integral, used to be such an integral part of my life. And it's changed the way I kind of move through the day. It's changed the way I consume information, changed the way I like deal with things like my phone or my computer. Um, and also changed the way I talk to people. And so that's been really fascinating for me. And like, uh, just personally, how that's kind of shifted my mind. And I think also um, my body's been feeling real sedentary mm -hmm. and inert. And this is someone, I'm saying this is someone who grew up as a dancer. So I, for me to see like my body just kind of like almost kind of melt into the year and um, lose a sense of self has been startling. You know, you remind me um, when I speak to people about losses, you know, usually deaths, but a loss is a loss. Um, one of the things we talk about is what is their, uh, we'll call it normal coping skills. What do they normally do in, in times past before this profound loss? So for you, I'm hearing to be with people, to support them, to be active, to be social, to be moving, all of, right. And what happens, my belief, is when we have a profound loss, our go-to coping skill gets up and leaves. Now, the good news there is it's not gone forever. It's, it's on pause. It's on a little vacay, okay? Um, and the reason I believe that happens is it because it forces or allows us, you can pick your verb how you're feeling about this, to learn new skills that we wouldn't otherwise because we would just revert back to what we know. So if someone is a caretaker, um, they just do more of that. Or if they're a denier or they're a cook, whatever gets them through the day, so to speak. And when we're forced to learn new skills, not only have we had a profound loss, but now our go-to way of coping has gone. So it's a double loss, it feels like, right? And you're describing it beautifully. So thank you for that. <laughs> and so know that you're learning new coping skills in this new situation that you're in. That So now you're going to, in this coping toolbox, I always envision this virtual toolbox, and everyone gets to pick what theirs looks like. You know, it doesn't have to be wood. It can be canvas or material or creatively, whatever you like it to be. But you're going to have more skills in that toolbox now. So that because as we go through life, there's always losses. And now you have other ways. Unfortunately, we don't learn these things when times are good. <laughs> yeah. No, if we learned them sitting on the beach with a Mai Tai, we'd all be sitting on the beach with a Mai Tai and, and becoming profoundly brilliant. But that's not how it goes, right? No, but that's, that sounds like the great segue into like a really good business model. <laughs> excellent, excellent. What do you want to do? That's great. <laughs> well, let's, let's figure out to make Mai Tais on the beach um, 
a, a pathway to restorative health. So, oh, you know what? I think I'm in on this. Let's go to Hawaii and just like talk over the different ways we could do this. <laughs> you just let me know when, and I'm there. <laughs> well, they have low numbers now, so that's not such a bad idea. <laughs> so, in your past, um, where have you come from to come to this place here today? Um, how so? Uh, like physically or psychologically, like mentally? Okay, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Where have I come from to get to this place today? Um, God, what a, what a question. Uh, um, yeah, God, that's a really good question. I, I'd like to answer it succinctly and not go off onto like a real terrible... Well, let's start with where were you born? Let's, let's go easy here. Okay. I was born in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. So it is... Um, mm -hmm. East Africa. I was born in the port town. Um, and the, I can tell you, and we immigrated to the United States, but I will tell you a funny story if I can, that when I was born, the, it didn't matter what culture you were in Tanzania um, or in Dar es Salaam in specific, everyone took their uh, child or baby to the astrologer to get their birth chart read. Didn't matter who it was. It was just tradition. And okay. they took me to, my parents took me to the astrologer and the astrologer said that the name they picked out for me would be, would bring me 50 years of bad luck. So they panicked and created a name, which sounded vaguely, I'm half Indian, it sounded Indianish. So I became hellish. Um, and then they scooped me up and uh, we landed in Brussels. We exited Tanzania. And we were told that there were two countries accepting immigrants. Australia or the United States and we didn't know anyone in Australia so we're like let's go to the United States and ended up in New York in the Bronx and then kind of zigzagged west hit Kentucky um, and then finally ended up in Chicago. Well there's a path <laughs> and what what so you came with your family to Chicago? I did with my with my mom and my dad. Okay and did work employment bring the family there? Yeah specifically my dad he was a doctor, and so when he came to the United States, um, he had to redo everything and came, you know, had a very firm belief in community care. So started working in ERs and um, community clinics and started off, did it in Chicago, went north, um, did it in small farming towns, came back, and then, yeah, that's... Uh, Wonderful. That's, uh, and have you th then been in Chicago yourself since then? You came with your family? Yes. Um, eventually, I mean, once we settled down, we moved, we got to Chicago and then we moved around a little bit, but mm -hmm. been around this area ever since and left to go to school and then ended up coming back. And what has brought you to the work that you're doing now with leadership and in the arts and, um, yeah, I don't, I have a strange pathway, um, of getting to where I am, you know, I, so right now I oversee leadership, um, in many different areas, what would leaders look like in many different areas, in justice and in, in journalism and um, in art. But before this, I helped run a community art center mm -hmm. um, on the south side of Chicago for about four years. And before that, I uh, was an external partner to Chicago Public Schools, helping run, helping create community and arts programming. Before that, um, I did a stint in the corporate world which is a very odd experience. And I could tell you plenty of stories uh, about that. But then before that, I, in no, in no particular order, I counseled vets, I counseled addicts, I uh, was a high school teacher, 
um, I was a working artist for a while and then I taught art um, as an artist in different spaces. Uh, and I did that for a very, I did all of those things for a very long time. Um, and then if you go back further enough, then, you know, there's the wait and there's the waiter, there's the film projectionist, there's the clown, there's like, you know, any odd job that anyone would give me, I would take. Well, that's, that's how we build ourselves. You know, part of it is just putting some shekels in your pocket so you can eat and pay the rent. Yeah. And then part of it is that helps to build our experiences and find what we don't want to do and what we do want to do um, is supporting other people in leadership roles in these areas. Does that feed your soul? It does. It does. Um, I'm surprised. I, I'm very grateful for where I am now. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of different twists and turns to get me here. It's interesting. Like when you, when you look at, when you zoom in mm -hmm. and you look at the things that are part of your narrative, your professional pathway, then it just seems like, okay, what's going on? But when you zoom out, you realize that you took all these different turns to get you to the place you, you wanted to get to. And where I'm at now, I'm in rooms and spaces I never thought I'd be in. And I'm supporting people in ways that is very rewarding and um, that I really, really love. So, yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, uh, everything that happened in my life, both personally and professionally, has led me to this point. So I'm, I'm very grateful for it. I never thought I'd get here. You, if you'd asked me even five years ago, this is, if this is where I saw myself, I would have said, are you kidding? But, but it's, it's really great. So it's so interesting, the paths that we all take, because most of us don't have a map or we have a map and that's, we end up going that way and the map said, right, to do this. And, and we don't know that all of these pieces are going to fall into place, hopefully, to bring us to where we are and where we are for us to accept that that's the place for us to be, even though it might not have been what we envisioned or wanted. Yeah, very true. Um, it, I mean... I remember I had a really amazing supervisor, um, not in two jobs ago, um, who pr pretty much transformed my life. And he gave me that important lesson of, look, you're going to go from Pat, you're going to go from A to B, but you're, you might take the most long winding route to get there. And that's the most important thing. It's the journey, not the, the destiny. Yeah. And also not spending a lot of time in why am I doing this? How come I can't get to where I want to be? And I think that's a, a mindset or, to visit, but not live there, not move in. <laughs> Just say, oh, no, well, why am I doing? All right, I'm here. <laughs> what can I do while I'm here? Well, that's the, that's the theme of the year, isn't it? It's it, We need to make sure that we're visiting and not staying in those spaces. Exactly. Oh, Gee, that could be part of the business model. We'll talk about that more in Hawaii. I like That's right. that. Mai Tais. <laughs> and the Mai Tais, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So as you do your work, what do you see as changes for, say, 2021 for the work you're doing? Yeah. So like I said earlier, I oversee an awards program, and the portal for the nominations opens up in February, February 1st. Mm -hmm. So... One of the big things that I'm doing, and this is so interesting to me, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone else, um, but a little bit of background. So I, there's an awards program that's a collaboration between the MacArthur Foundation and the Field Foundation, and it's a way to identify and recognize leaders working in Chicago. And when we open the portal, people can come in and they can nominate someone. You know, they can nominate a colleague, they can nominate a peer, anyone else. 
But we left it open that if you want to, you can nominate yourself. Mm. And part of the reason we did that is when the research was being done to build this program, we found out that a lot of folks didn't feel like they had anyone to advocate for them. For them. Yeah. And so we wanted to leave that op option open. Um, and it was great, but two things came of that that are very challenging. Mm. One, people don't know how to write about themselves. They feel very reticent because they feel it's self-serving. They feel like they're, sometimes they get very shy. You know, they, they, the people that are being recognized are the people who don't really talk about them. They're very humble, right. you know, right. even though they're very bold in what they do. And then the second thing is the people who are part of the selection committee who are looking at the nominations have their own bias against people who write self-nominations. Ah. So part of my job in the coming year um, with one of my colleagues from another foundation is to really do the best job I can to tackle those two problems, to get people to understand how you can write an authentic narrative about the work that you do and not have it be this boastful thing, but actually be like, this is your life story. That's this right. is your professional story. And the other thing is um, try to subvert any kind of obvious um, biases that people have towards self-nominations. And so those, there's yeah. going to be a lot of things that I have to tackle, but those are the biggest things. Wow. You know, the self-nomination, if, if it was blind, in other words, that people didn't on the board who are the judges didn't know who wrote the nomination, or the letter of referral, that's one way. Yeah. But you know, when anyone asks me to write letters of uh, referral or recommendation, always I ask them to um, write some key points and send it to me. I used to ask by starting them to write the letter and that usually caused angst. So I don't start it that way. I mean, I'm gonna get there, but, and they'll just say, oh yeah, okay. And how hard that is to write tells me where we are, you know? Um, nice to people, kind to dogs. Okay, well, we got some work to do here, you know. Um, eventually, what I'm going to do is want them to write that letter because the, the opportunity they have is to learn that if they can't speak highly of themselves, why would anyone else? Which is what I'm trying to teach in that. Um, not that they're help, they're not always wanting to learn that lesson. They want me to write the letter and be done with it already. Um, right. Um, but it is an important thing to be able to speak about ourselves honestly and openly without being boastful or, you know, what I did, you know, kind of attitude. It's yeah. not something that is um, easily accepted in our culture. Um, either it's seen as boastful um, or that you should just be quiet. <laughs> so I, I think that that's a wonderful thing to offer to people. It solves a problem and opens up another one, but that's pretty interesting. Yeah. As you look towards um, the future, after everything um, this year has brought, what, what gives you hope? Well, people are amazing. Um, they're absolutely amazing. So people always give me hope, you know, in the face of an insane amount of things, uh, they tackle things with an enormous amount of grace. And so people always give me hope. Um, and I, I think if they didn't, I'd be in a far different place. And especially since I deal with people as part of my job. So I'm looking forward to 
interacting and learning and listening and working more with um, these folks who I think are doing exemplary work in Chicago. But also, I think what also gives me hope is, I think, you know, and I've heard this, you know, in so many spaces that um, is finding the pathways or the people who stand up for the things that are not always popular and do it in ways that um, are educative. And again, full, I keep using that firm are full of grace and um, are quiet in some ways, but very powerful. And so I, I love that. And that's, that's what keeps me excited. That's what keeps me excited. And also the possibility and hope that someday I'll get to read again. <laughs> well, first you will. That's my prediction. And also that when we come on the other side, so we'll call it when there's a vaccination and we go back, uh, not go back, go forward to whatever our new lives will be. Um, you'll bring with it, we all will, um, everything that we've been through, uh, the trials, the tribulations, the learnings, hopefully, um, the new coping skills, and, and, and be in a different place personally to live in a new world, so to speak. It, yeah. And so I think if we go forward, um, honestly, with grace, with kindness, and uh, with hope, I think we can all get there. Well, that's my view, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> I'm right there with you, like I Excellent. said. You know, Excellent. Excellent. You and I are going to have a shorthand every time. Every time we want to get to that point, we'll just say my ties on in Hawaii. I'm, and, I'm and there. Kind of get to that point. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for being such an interesting guest today, and to share with my audience. Um, your experience during the pandemic, your knowledge, um, what's going on in your town, and what's going on in your heart. So I appreciate you sharing with us today. So thank you so very much here on the podcast, From Heartache to Healing and Hope. This series, same storm, different boats. And today we've been paddling <laughs> with Hillish Patel. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely.